Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Ladies and gentlemen, Father Pat Schultz. Hey, thanks, Jack. All right, Pat. Long down. Yeah. Long down. All right, I'm going to move this. So it was the first time you did that, and I thought you were saying the first time you prayed. I was like, no way. That's not, that's not true. All right. All right, I was telling uh, Miss Uptegrove here that uh, when, when the room fills up from the back row first, that's how you know it's a Catholic event, y'all, right? So you guys are the brave people right here, front row, right in my center, right? All right, so... I'm going to just talk into this because my voice, I was talking all day today, we had our sixth grade retreat and my voice is already a little bit, uh, a little hoarse, so if I don't, I'm just going to be, my voice is going to be blown out like halfway through, so, and we would not want to end early, my God, right? <laughs> right, okay, all right, good. Well, I, uh, I think it's good that we, 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 we prayed already, but I'd love to, uh, I just, I'd love to, for us to just kind of, I'd love for your prayers for me, right? Like, I, I, I've got thoughts down and I've got some things that I've prepared, but I, um, I don't know, like, I don't have the words of eternal life, the Lord does, right? So I just really want to be his instrument for you tonight, and just, uh, that he would speak through me. So if we could just take a second, and just in the silence, just ask you to intercede for me, and while you're doing that, I'm going to pray for you, that you would hear what the Lord wants you to hear. So let's just take a few seconds in the silence. And let's entrust this time in our prayers to Our Lady as we pray together. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. As Father Carlin said, I, uh, my name is Father Patrick Schultz. I, uh, I've been a priest for five years, and, and I've, I've been out here at St. Charles for a few of these talks with the folks, and I'm just, I'm just honored to, to be able to do this and delighted to come back. And we didn't do this, we didn't do this last year, right, because nothing happened last year. So it's, it's fun to be able to be back on the circuit and just have things together again, right? So, yeah, it's just really good. So we got a very serious topic tonight. What's faith got to do with my real life? Anybody hearing like the, what's faith got to do? Anybody? Is that... It's just me all day. I've just been thinking about that. But very serious topic, and so we got to start with a very serious video. Can we do that? Very serious video to get us rolling. Strong. Oh, it just stopped. Okay. 
I saw that video the other, I saw that video recently. I was just like, that is just that's just the best, man. That is just the best. When you're in the seminary, like you you we you train for all these moments thinking of them in the ideal, right? Like the ideal baptism, the ideal wedding. And then like there's real life, right? There's the ideal, then there's real life, right? I did a baptism a few weeks ago. I don't know I don't know if you've ever had this happen, Father Carla, but I had the baby uh, throw up into the font. That was the first for me. I like, what do you, what do we do? What do we <laughs> All right, time out. I'm going to go get another bowl. I just, that's what I was like. That, they don't train you for that contingency in the seminary, right? Anyway, no, I love this. You know, church, all this stuff, it's so important to remember that, like, I love it. It's G.K. Chesterton who said, like, the angels can fly because they take themselves so lightly. I think we come together on, like, nights like this in the church hall basement, right, for, uh, for you know, a presentation from a priest you haven't met. And uh, this isn't necessarily supposed to be... Like, it's serious, but it's also like we don't have to be so very, very, very serious. Because the Lord, the Lord is, I mean, he is the Lord of life and love and mirth and all those good things. So, all right, real quick, a little bit about me. Because um, why not talk about me for a little bit? So here, uh, we're going to take it way back to circa 95. This is me right here uh, with my little brother, Scott. And that uh, right there is the hair that I used to have. Um, and uh, I miss it fondly. I think my glorified body is going to have amazing, amazing hair. It's going to be nothing but hair and abs. I think it's going to be, that's what I'm looking forward to. So, um, yeah, so my, a uh, little bit about me that, uh, I didn't go to, I didn't go to Catholic school. Uh, my parents, we were not what you would call a devout family. Okay. We were not mass every Sunday. We were not even mass every month kind of people. We were your typical, very typical Christer Catholics, right? The Christmas Easter only Catholics also known as CEOs, whatever you want to call us, right? The creasters, we were the CEOs. We, there was a point in time in my life where I definitely thought that mass only happened twice a year because, well, that's, just, that's as often as we went, right? So uh, I have very few memories of mass as a kid, uh, but the one that I do have, I'll share with you. That So every once in a while, my dad would get in these fits where he was like, all right, we're going, we're going to church. I'd be like, okay, why? Right? Does, I mean, okay. So we went to church, and at the time at my home parish at St. Mary's, the way they did communion was that the people in the last row, so last row people, wave high, last row people, there you are, last row people, furthest away from the action, last row people got to go up to communion first, right? So last row people come up, which meant that the people who are furthest away from the action, communion first, and then out the side door, right? Which I know none of us do here, right? But communion and then out the side door, because my dad would say we were going to St. Mary's, then we're going to go to St. Perkins for breakfast, okay? And you have to beat the, the crowd as they're leaving the church, because uh, nothing makes you more of a Christian than fighting people in a church parking lot after Mass, right? Yeah, there's, I, my dad invented swear words coming out of church, like in the parking lot. So, all right, so there's one particular Sunday where we're, in the, we're at Mass, and uh, there's a very, very solemn moment where the priest elevates the consecrated host, the consecrated chalice, and he says, behold the Lamb of God, right? Solemn moment. And from the back row, I still, to this day, I still don't know why this happened. What demon possessed me as an eight-year-old boy, nine-year-old boy? But from the back row, behold the Lamb of God, I go, bah, from the back row. And my dad just goes, ah, and like slaps me to the ground, right? I'm crying and like confused, and he picks me up from my, my, my overalls and just like marches us out the, out the side door, right? And guys, look, I'm a priest now, okay? So like... You're probably doing really great as parents. Your kids are probably going to be just fine, right? So, like, there's a lot of hope. If mass is hard for you, like, it's going to be okay, right? So, uh, 
that's like, that's like my foundation of church as a kid, all right? So I was a PSR dropout, right? Second grade, made my first, uh, first reconciliation, first communion, and then just stopped going to PSR, right? Because I didn't go to Catholic school, so there's no more PSR for me. Fast forward to high school, because I had nothing between second grade and my junior year of high school. St. Mary's in Hudson, that's when we would get confirmed as 11th graders. Uh, raise your hand, by the way, if you're here for confirmation. You got a confirmation kid. Okay, and the rest of you, raise your hand if you're a second grade, first community kid. Okay, cool. All right, so 11th grade confirmation. So my mom t- comes to me. She tells me, you know, she got the mail, uh, paper, paperwork in the mail about the confirmation process is going to be starting. And, uh, you know, part of it is that you're going to have to go on a retreat. You're going to do these group things. And, I mean, I really didn't care. Like, it didn't really bother me. I wasn't like, no, I'm an atheist, right? I wasn't that kid. Uh, And I think if you were to ask me at the time, like, what do you think about God? I probably would have said, you know, I mean, like, yeah, I'm sure he probably exists. But, like, I didn't really care. God had nothing really to do with my my practical life. All right, so anyway, junior year of high school, uh, physics class, okay. Our physics teacher, he created a new seating chart every month. You got a new seat in the, in the class. So this is the same semester, same fall semester that I got this huge crush on a girl. We'll call her Kristen because that was her name, okay? So um, Kristen was amazing and beautiful, and she, like, smelled great, and she had great hair, and I just was like, You're, you, we should be married, right? <laughs> So she was the love of my life. Um, I had never talked to her, though. All right, so, uh, so I wanted to ask Kristen to homecoming. So I'm coming into class, new seating chart. Kristen's already seated in the class. And I'm like, wouldn't that be sick if my seat was next to her seat? I grabbed my card, look at it, and it corresponded to her seat next to her. Oh, yeah, there's a God. Okay, all right, so I'm sitting next to Kristen. And the whole day goes by, and I... I I had nothing to say. I, could, I couldn't get any words out. Next day, same thing. Next day, same thing. Finally, at some point at the end of the week, we're working on some sheet together, some worksheet that had to do with the origin of the universe, something like that. And out of the blue, she asked me like, a question about God, right? And I, I mean, I was dumbfounded. Like, I had no thoughts about God, right? She could have asked me about the migration pattern of like, Canadian geese, and I, probably, I would have had something to say. But she asked me something about God, and... Uh, I mean, I, I wasn't a dummy, though, right? Like, so I just said, like, like, what do you think about God, right? Why don't you do the talking here, right? Don't put me in the hot seat. What do you think about God? And she said some things, and because I know, like, synonyms, right? So I just, like, took her words and just, like, repackaged them and sent them back in her direction. She's like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I know. Are you feeling this, right? You should get married, right? So uh, then she asked me this question. She goes, uh, where do you go to church? And I said, St. Mary's, which was technically true, okay? St. Mary's. And then she said, I've never seen you there, which is like crushing to my, you know, holy roller facade here. And I figured I knew enough about St. Mary's at the time that there was a 5.30 p.m. life teen mass, the youth mass. I figured that's what she meant. So this is what I said. Oh, I'm a little bit more serious in my faith. I prefer the organ, you know, then the guitars and the clapping and the drums at the evening mass. And uh, she's like, oh, yeah, no, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, that's really awesome. You're really into your faith. Lies. This was all lies. Again, I'm a priest now, so, like, you know, you, you can see how this one panned out, right? So, so uh, she goes, well, actually, tonight's the first planning meeting for the fall retreat. She goes, how about I come pick you up and we go together? 
This is usually where the teens go, oh. Okay, so you're welcome <laughs> to make the noises that are appropriate that include laughter and awe and any other gasp, right? Okay, so, so she's in my driveway, 6.30, honking her horn. My mom's yelling, you know, yelling at me, there's some girl in the driveway. I'm like, I know, right? So, so we go to the church. And that night, uh, the, uh, the youth minister, he's like giving a presentation, right? I'm freaking out because I'm a liar, right? And here I am on my first date with my future wife, and I've built our relationship on lies. And uh, so the youth minister gives a talk, and then all of a sudden, like, they dim the lights down kind of like this. And uh, oh, I meant to do this picture to show you that things advanced. Uh, there's not, if you notice, he's also losing his hair, and he's also bald now. Okay, so that's pretty great. Um, dim the lights. From the back of the church, priest comes walking in. It's Father Damien Ferentz, son of this parish. Priest comes walking in, long robes. He's got this gold star thing. He places that on the altar. There's incense. Everyone around me is just like watching this event unfold in like awe. Like the teens around me, some are kneeling, some are, some are laying completely prostrate, some have their eyes closed, some have their eyes open, hands open, hands closed. But like what struck me so much was that in this moment they were responding to a reality that up to that point in my life was completely unknown to me, right? They were, they were responding to a presence that for me was like invisible. And I, I just remember... Like, the only way to make sense of my life now, the fact that I am a priest, is that that night something happened to me. Like, I met a person. That's all I know to say. That that night, by the grace of God, I was given this crazy insight that whatever this thing is on the altar, I think that that's God. And I remember praying. I remember sitting there. Like, I've never prayed before. All of this was so outside of my categories. I remember kneeling there thinking, like, God, like, I don't know what this is, but I think it's real. And whatever this is, I want it. And that, like, that night, my life was changed. And, like, the thing, the thing that happened was that my life didn't get easier. My life actually got harder. Because I went home, and over the next several weeks and months, like, I got super involved in the youth group. I got super involved in Bible studies. I was devouring books, devouring the Bible, like, going to daily mass. And, like, you know, as, as a parent, you know, I remember my dad just being like, whoa, 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 like, let's pump the brakes a little bit here. Like, I'm, I'm glad that you've got, like, religion in your life now, Patrick. That's fine. That's good. Like, it's a good thing to have. Rounds you out, right? Let's people know you're not a serial killer, right? So, uh, but he's like, like, don't, don't go overboard here, right? Like, you've, it's, it's a slice of the pie. We don't want to make it the whole pie. He's like, you got, you got church, you got friends, you got work, you got school, you got sports. Like, let's not make it the, the whole pie. And I remember thinking, like, I couldn't articulate it then. Looking back, I can understand it, that my, my heart, like little 16-year-old me, had met something, had encountered something that so like, radicalized, so ha- so had, had so um, <sighs> subordinated every other good thing in my life to second place, if I can put it that way. Like, I remember thinking, like, clearly, Dad, you have not met the thing, the person, the, the reality that I met that night. Because if you had, you wouldn't be saying these things. I learned later that like, it's not as though faith and Christ are like this competing piece in the pie. It's actually the crust that undergirds everything, that makes sense of everything. But he just didn't understand it. He didn't understand it. Like you go to mass, you, go, like, you, you, you have this slice of your pie, but you got the rest of your life. You know, like there's, if there's one thing that people know about us Catholics, it's that we're, we go to mass. Right? We're mass goers. It's what we do, right? We're not really known for having this like relationship with Christ kind of reality. 
Our Protestant brothers and sisters, that's a big thing for them, right? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Personal relationship with Jesus. We'll get to this, but like, that's our bread and butter, y'all. Like, they just kind of stole that from us. Don't tell them. Maybe tell them, but just do it gently. All right. We're not really known for this personal relationship. We're known for going to Mass, coming to Sunday Mass. And for most people, for a lot of people, Mass is, it's boring. It's boring. I remember thinking Mass was boring as a kid. If faith, the faith seemed boring. Like, the music, it's not that inspiring. It's not like you're popping in CDs from, like, the We Gather hymnal, like, driving home. The music isn't that inspiring. Um... Oftentimes the, the lectors are, are, they're not like trained orders, like they're like bumbling through words. Homilies meander, not your homilies, other priest homilies meander, and you're like, we're just, let's, let's find a landing, like just put the landing gear down, Father, right? Homilies meander, things are just like, I, I don't really know, and then you, like when you bring your kids to church, it's just, it's hard, right? That struggle, like from the sanctuary, we see it. We see the struggle. We see the struggle. You're fighting with cups of Cheerios and there's crayons and you've accidentally brought the toy that has batteries and like it's a power drill. Like, where's the beanie baby, right? Like, we see the struggle and it's hard. Like, I get it. I get it. I have so much, I have so much compassion for parents who bring their kids to church because I, I know it's hard. I know it's hard. I not only know it's hard from the sanctuary, I know it's hard because, so I, I'm really blessed to have friends who've got a bunch of kids and I'm godfather to, the, to their twins, Okay, so this is them. They're eight now. Uh, but uh, when I was a seminarian, I used to go to mass with my friend Lauren and all of her kids because her husband Mark was a, was a night shift cop. So I, like, I did the baby juggle all throughout mass. And like, I don't, I don't remember hearing homilies. I covered in poop and vomit and things. Like, I, I, I know it from the inside, right? I know it from the inside. And for many people, right, it's just this struggle. It's boring. Faith seems boring. Like, this is a lot of us, right? We're maybe embarrassed to admit it, right? Especially in front of your pastor. It's okay, it's okay. We gotta start where we are, right? It seems boring. It seems struggle. It's, there's a struggle. We're a little embarrassed to admit it. But like, if you were really pressed, really pressed, I mean like really pressed to answer, why is it so vital for your kid to receive their first communion? Why is it so vital and necessary for them to make their confirmation? Like for my mom, the reason why I got confirmed was because if I didn't, her mom, my grandma, would have been really pissed off. And you just don't make grandma mad, right? Like, that's just like the rule, right? That's why I got confirmed, at least initially. Like, if you were really pressed, like, why is it so important for them to experience these things? Like, my parents didn't have answers. They didn't have answers. And I'm not blaming you. I'm not, ju- there's no judgment. There's no judgment. There's no blame here for not having answers. I'm just asking us, just kind of be honest with like where we're at, you know, in the church basement. What is today? Tuesday? Today, Monday? What day is it? Monday? Monday. That's why it felt like a Monday. All right. Church basement on a Monday. Like, let's just be honest with where we're at. And let's see this as an opportunity, like for the next 37 minutes to receive something from God. Like I prayed at the beginning, God has something that he wants to share with you tonight. Like, there's no accidents. There's no, like, you just happen to be here. God has something he wants to share with you tonight. This isn't just, it isn't another hoop to jump through. Like, the reason you're here is because your pastor loves you. Your pastor and your priest love you. Like, crazy kind of love. Like, the kind of love that says, I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to give everything up so that other people 
could come to know Jesus because he's actually worth an entire life. Like, he loves you. Like, you know him. He's married probably a lot of you. He's probably baptized a lot of your kids. And this is not just another hoop. This is, this is an opportunity to be, like, to grow, to take a step forward. Like, for many of us, we just don't see the connection between faith and, like, the rest of my life, right? Because on the one hand, right, you have, like, the church and Jesus and sacraments and, and First Communion prep and Confirmation prep and St. Charles, and you have all that stuff. But then over here, you've got, like, your life, Right? Like all the stuff you go back to when you leave church, right? It's, it's your job and it's stressful and it's in-laws and parents are sick and kids and sports and practice and driving here and there and the cat and the dog and veterinary, da 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 And all the stress, all of it. Like that's like your, that's your life. And we don't see how these two have anything to do with, with each other. I don't see what faith, what happens here on Sunday, the mass, the sacraments, what does that have to do with the rest of my life? There's... Like my, my dad's mind, right? There was this slice of my life, but there's other slices. For a lot of us, let's be honest, like faith doesn't have a lot to do with the rest of our lives. It's very compartmentalized. And if that's you, God bless you. Like, welcome to humanity. I right? like welcome to like Catholicism because that's a lot of us. We have it in the separate category, the separate box. Or maybe it's the reality that we can't, we couldn't even imagine how faith could have this effect on the rest of my life. Or maybe we're, we're just like, I don't even want faith to have an impact on the rest of my life because when I see what happens here, like it's boring, it's dry, it's dull, and I just don't want the rest of my life to be invaded by something that feels lifeless, that feels out of touch, that, th- that feels meaningless. So we protect the rest of our life. We keep Jesus in that nice little box and say, hi, Jesus, good to talk to you on Sunday. Then I gotta get back to the rest of my life. That's what I wanna talk about tonight how we can have faith become the thing that is the crust, right, of the pie. And this is where I want to start with uh, this, a quote from this guy. This is Father Pedro Arupe. He was the vicar general for the Society of Jesus, the Jesuits. He's really, he's, he's, he's responsible in many ways for, like, transforming the Jesuit community. So it was at a Eucharistic Congress a number of years ago. So all these people gather together, talk about the Eucharist, masses, processions, all those things, that someone asked him after this series of speeches that had gone on, there were this pie-in-the-sky theology, this highfalutin stuff. These people approached Father Rupe and said, listen, Father, like we just, all that stuff is great. It's great. Don't get us wrong. But what we really would love to hear is something practical. Can you give us something practical? And then off the cuff, he just begins to remark, he says, there's nothing more practical than finding God. That is, in falling in love in a quite absolute and final way. What you are in love with, what seizes your imagination, will affect everything. It will decide what will get you out of bed in the morning, what you do with your evenings, how you spend your weekends, what you read, whom you know, what breaks your heart, and what amazes you with joy and gratitude. And he ended it by saying, fall in love. Stay in love, and it will decide everything. Friends, it's like the, it's the experience of falling in love. That, like, that in that experience, that something happens to you, that a whole new world opens up. A whole new world opens up. I want to show you a clip from a, one of my favorite movies. Who's seen the movie We Bought a Zoo? Matt Damon movie? One of you? Two of you? Raise your hand if you don't like raising your hand, just so I... No, 
who you are? Okay, there's one of you. Good enough. Thank you. All right. We bought a zoo. Great Matt Damon movie. It's really, it's a really fun, uh, really great family movie. So you should, guys, you should watch it. But so in this clip, it comes to the end of the movie. Uh, it's about a family who buys a zoo. Spoiler alert. Okay. So they buy a zoo and um, Matt Damon's character, his wife had died um, from, from cancer. And what he's doing here in this scene towards the end of the movie, he's bringing his two kids back to the diner, back to the spot where he first met, first saw his wife. So what you're witnessing here in this movie is him retelling the story to his kids of when he first encountered his wife. So that's what you're about to watch. So, okay, stop. She was right there. This is the moment where both of you became a possibility. I love that you're telling stories again. This is the story before the story. This is where you and you begin because this Gets me every time. They get eaten by all the animals, and it's uh, <laughs> really a sad ending. This story. God, so, just kidding. That does happen. Oh man, those of you who are married, I want you to think back. Or those of you who ever dated, those of you you know, like those of you who've ever fallen in love, I want you to think back on that experience with like your spouse, that falling in love journey of falling in love with your spouse. It began. It began to slowly affect everything in your life, right? Suddenly there's this other person who, didn't, who wasn't on the horizon of your experience and suddenly they're there, right? They're there and they weren't there before and they're suddenly becoming 
like a, a deeper and deeper reality in your heart and you begin to, it's changing everything. It's thinking, you're, you're changing about what you're thinking about spending money on, like what you're doing on the weekends, what you're daydreaming about, your, your future plans, your, your canceling vacations, you begin spending or saving up for a ring, like it's changing everything, right? Falling in love begins to change everything. Allowing this other person into your heart at deeper and deeper levels, like all of that has real world consequences, has real world consequences to the point where you get to, you get to this point where you've realized you've let this person into your heart at a level that no one else has gotten in, right? I've never, I've never given anyone the highest security clearance badge. Like I've given my spouse, this, this person who I love and you realize there's, there's nothing left for me to do except I want to let them in all the way. That's why you get married. That's what it means to be a spouse because you want to let someone in all the way. Like, look, ideas might intrigue us, Jobs, they might reorient our lives. They can cause a lot of stress, give us status and careers and all that stuff. But relationship, love, vulnerability, that right there, that's what like, that's the kind of thing that bleeds into and touches every part of our life. That's what affects everything. Relationships begin with encountering another and with being encountered by another. Again, think back with your, your spouse. That encountering and being encountered. And that relationship, that encounter, it blossoms into, like God willing, into love. Into love. Love is what changes everything. Particularly, especially, the experience of, of being loved. Of discovering that you are lovable. Not just with your masks on, but lovable like in your depths. When you keep showing another person your crap and that person keeps saying, yeah, I, I mean, I still love you. I still love you. I still love you. That crazy experience is what changes everything. That's what changes everything. And right here, this is where the talk gets very practical, very, very practical for you and me. Very practical. I just want to ask you, like, have you ever... At this point in your life, in your adult lives, have you met that love of Christ? Have you met the person of Christ? Like if you were at a dinner party with a bunch of other couples and you're all telling stories of when you met each other. You can tell that story. Can you tell that story about Jesus? Can you tell that story with the same detail, the same accuracy, there's a line in the Gospel of John where John, after the disciples of John the Baptist encountered Jesus, John says, and it was about three o'clock in the afternoon. I always wonder, like, why did, like, why did he add the time? Because when people fall in love, they remember crazy, stupid details like that. You remember those details. Have you ever fallen in love with Jesus? I know that's like a weird question to ask a bunch of Catholics, but it's the most practical question we could ever consider. Because the God of the universe, the God who hung the stars, who made the rings of Saturn, that God is so passionately in love with you. He doesn't see crowds. He sees individuals. He sees you. He sees you with the entirety of your story. He sees you. He's pursuing you. Like this is what the catechism of the Catholic Church says about this. God calls man first. Man may forget his creator or hide far from his face, 
He may even run after idols or accuse the deity of having abandoned him, yet the living and true God, listen to this, tirelessly calls each person to that mysterious encounter known as prayer. In prayer, the faithful God's initiative of love always comes first. Our own first first step is always a response. Like, do you hear that? That God is pursuing you and he's pursuing you tirelessly, tirelessly, right? In all of your brokenness, in all of your woundedness, all of your crap, all of the stuff that we keep so buried deep in the vault of our hearts, right? Like, he's pursuing you. And the question that I want to pose for us today is like, imagine what it would be like. Imagine what it would be like to actually encounter that love that like the church writes about, that the saints talk about, that the poets have written about, that musicians have written scores about. Imagine what it would be like for you and your situation, your story, your marriage, where you are right now. What it would be like for you to actually encounter that love like tonight, today, tomorrow. Like our image of God as like this distant sideline judge holding this scorecard, like docking us for deductions. Like that's, that's, that's a lie from the pit of hell. That is not who our God is. That is not who he is. And like many of us, because of maybe our upbringing, because of the image of God we were, we were given as kids, Right? This emphasis on like avoiding sin so you don't go to hell, this image of God we carry in our hearts, it, it's scary. And the reality is we, we, we're afraid to encounter God because we think he's, he's a smiter, right? Like Bruce Almighty, right? Smite me, almighty smiter, right? We think he's this smiter. That's not who he is. That's not who he is. And until we encounter him, we are always going to be left wondering. This is Pope Benedict, one of my favorite quotes from him. That's not Pope Benedict, that's a line. I'm going to read a quote from you. I thought it was on there. (laughs) Behind the scenes from We Bought a Zoo. Okay, Pope Benedict, he said this, that being a Christian, okay, raise your hand if you're a Christian. Okay, even the people who don't like raising their hands, raise their hands, good, okay. Pope Benedict, being a Christian is not the result of being baptized as a baby. He didn't say that. I'm adding that. Being a Christian is not the result of an ethical choice, but encounter, but an encounter with a person who changes the whole shape and horizon and direction of your life. Being a Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea. No one just decides I'm going to be a Christian. Being a Christian is the result, as he says, of an encounter with a person who gives life a new and decisive horizon and direction in the exact same way that being a spouse is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea, but the encounter with a person who changes the course of your life. Right? No one just wakes up and decides to be a spouse. You're a spouse because you met somebody. Christians are people who have met Jesus. That's what a Christian is. Like, love is what changes everything. Meeting Jesus, encountering Jesus, that's what, like, That's what changes everything. And I think a lot of us, we've never really met him. And that's like no blame. But I think a lot of us in the church, we've never really met him because like for a a thousand reasons. But like you grow up, you're a cradle Catholic. You go to Catholic school, you fall in love, you get married. Where are you going to get married? Let's get married in St. Charles or wherever else, right? Because that's where I went to school. Then first baby comes along. What are we going to do with it? Let's get it baptized because why? I don't know. That's what you do. You get babies baptized. Because mom and dad are going to be pissed off if we don't. Grandma's going to be mad, right? You get the babies baptized. 
And then like, okay, they're like five years old. What are we going to do? He's going to send them to school. Okay, that's good. They then they're in school. Then they're like doing their whole thing. Then second grade comes along. I guess we got to get them first communion. Get the dress. We got to get the dress, right? Got to get the cake ordered, get the plant. Like, but why? 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 I think a lot of us, I think we at least sense intuitively that there's got to be something more to this Catholic faith thing than the check in the box going through the motions. There's got to be a substance here. This thing's been around for 2,000 years. Like this priest tonight, like who's talking to you, this super good looking bald priest, right? Am I going to get an amen? Amen. Okay, good. All right. Like he's clearly excited about something. Like there's got to be something more to this faith than just simply going through the motions, showing up on Sunday, getting the white dress, doing first communion and confirmation. There's got to be something more. I think a lot of people are interested in, like, theoretically, ideally, in the, in the idea of encountering Jesus. Yeah, wouldn't that be cool? But the, actual, the idea of actually encountering Jesus, that's pretty terrifying. That's scary. Like, I think, I think a lot of people want to encounter Jesus kind of like how I want to encounter lions in the zoo. Like, very safely, behind glass, in control. But like, what if... What if I encountered him like this? See, the problem is in our culture today, we're raised to think that the, like, when you meet somebody, you got to make a good first impression. You, like, you, put, you put your face on, you, you put your good appearance on, you make a good first impression. But that right there, that's the problem, that approaching Jesus in our quote-unquote Sunday best with our pious masks on, right, the mask that says, I'm okay, I got this together. Like Approaching Jesus that way, you can be guaranteed that you're never going to meet him. You're never going to meet the real Jesus. We're really scared to like be encountered by him, to let the, let the real Jesus show up, to, re- to let the real Jesus know about and see and, and, and encounter like my real junk, my real heart, my real story, my real struggles. Like, we're just afraid of getting real with Jesus because, like, what if he starts poking around? What if he's actually going to start looking at that stuff that I don't let any other, any other person look at? What if he wants to start talking about that stuff that I have very successfully buried deep in my life, deep in my memory, that I don't talk about? There's a real clear off-limit sign there. Like, what if he can't read or what if he wants to ignore it? What if he wants to go in that one room where you've buried the stuff? All my junk, all my baggage... What will you want to talk about? All of the masks we wear. All that crap that we keep so hidden. But like that right there, that stuff, that pain, that woundedness, that, that stuff that makes us feel little and insecure. Like, look, we all know this, but we all pretend like we don't know this. That every, like, we're all just pretending. Like, we're all, we're all insecure. We all are. We step into a room, like, we all feel a thing bubble up in our hearts. Like, every single one of us, like, I don't care if you had the best parents or the worst parents. Every single one of us has a story that if we all could see it, if we all lived it from the inside, it would make every single one of us weep. Every single one of us has that stuff, has that struggle, has that junk. And like that stuff that we keep hidden, but like that's the stuff that Jesus came for. That's what he wants to redeem. He is the savior after all. He wants to save you from that. 
Like that's what confession, that's what mass, that's what mass is actually all about. It's about letting myself be seen and loved at my depths and resting in a love, like the love of the Father who's like not repulsed by my brokenness. Like we all come into church like this. This is how we approach church. This is how most people approach confession. Just put this like pious, I'm okay mask on. I'm not talking about those masks. I'm talking about other masks, right? Jesus is not repulsed by our brokenness. I mean, look at where, look at where he was born. Like the Christmas story is just so not what we think it is. Like he is laid in a manger, a feeding trough. He's born in a stable. Like what do you think a stable smelled like? It's probably smelled terrible. Like from the very beginning, he's, he's telling us, I'm not scandalized by the junk, by the stuff that stinks. Remember when Lazarus was dead in the tomb? He's dead in the tomb for four days. And Jesus shows up and he says, roll away the stone. And Martha says, Lord, he's been in there four days. There's going to be a stench by now. And he still says, roll away the stone. And then he steps into the tomb. Look, I, I don't know what rotting human flesh smells like, but I guarantee it's pretty bad. And Jesus steps into it. And he's saying that to our hearts all the time. That's what he says at every mass. Like, roll away the stone, man. Roll away the stone. Like, I'm not scandalized by it. I'm not embarrassed by it. Like, I want to enter it. And when I do enter it, what I do is I say, let there be life. And he calls Lazarus out of that. Like, he draws near to us in our mess. So near, in fact, that we can literally, like, consume him. He enters into us. Just like he entered into the tomb as he enters into that cave. He enters into the dead places, the alienated places, the stinky places in us. That's what he wants to do. He's looking for a manger. Every mass, he's looking for a manger. He doesn't want a wooden one. He wants like the fleshy one that is your heart. He's looking for a manger. And so often we just say, no, 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 I'm good. You just like go find somebody else. Like, he steps into that. And, like, like I don't even know if you want that. Like, I, I'm just being really honest. Like, I don't even know if you want that. Like, do you even want to be loved like that? I'm not asking you to raise a hand, but I'm just asking you to actually consider that, like, this is real. This is so real. And, like, when you had your kids baptized and what you're asking like the church to give them first communion and confirmation, you, you bless them with a relationship that maybe you don't even know how to like model for them. This is so real. Do you want to be loved like, like that? Like I, I mean, I, like I do. I'm terrified by that because that's, I, I don't know anything like that on earth. But that's how he loves. And when you encounter that kind of love, that changes everything. Being loved in that way changes everything. When you see that you are seen, like warts and all, that changes everything. Like you know the difference, especially my sisters, you know the difference between being looked at and being seen, right? 
There's a huge difference there. Like, I want to be seen. And when you're seen, warts and all, when like all of it's exposed, that changes everything. Because here's the thing, like, if I'm only ever loved when I'm wearing a mask, like when I'm wearing masks, right? If I'm only ever loved when I'm wearing masks, then I know that I'm not really loved. Like the kind of love that I want, that you want, is like, I want to be, like, I want to experience love when all of my crap is on display and someone can still tell me, yeah, I love you. That's what changes everything. That's what changes everything. Being looked at like that changes everything. That's how our Father beholds us. Like, to the ancient of days, we are always God's babies. Like, you think you're grown-ups before God. You aren't. The more little you feel before God, the holier you're probably becoming. The more out of control you feel, the holier you're probably becoming. The healthier you're probably becoming, spiritually speaking. Unless you become like a child, Jesus says, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Like, heaven is just full of babies crawling around. That's what the saints are. They're God's babies. They knew they were the little ones. They just depended on him. And they allowed themselves to be gazed upon like that. Listen to this quote. Holiness, this author says, consists in enduring God's glance. It may appear to be passivity to withstand the look of an eye. But everyone knows how much exertion is required when this occurs in an essential encounter, something serious. Our glances mostly brush past each other indirectly or they turn quickly away or they give themselves, not personally, but only socially. Hey, how are you? Good, fine, thanks. So too do we constantly flee from God into a distance that is theoretical, rhetorical, sentimental, aesthetic, or most frequently for us, pious. We flee from him to external works. And yet, he says, the best thing would be to surrender one's naked heart to the fire of this all-penetrating glance. The heart would then itself have to catch fire because such enduring would be the opposite of a Stoic's hardening his face. It would be yielding, declaring oneself beaten, entrusting oneself, casting oneself into him. It would be the childlike loving since for children the glance of the father is not painful. With wide open eyes, they look into his. To look at him looking at you. Like when you let him look at you in your weakness, that's what changes everything. Because you, you bring your heart with you everywhere you go. Like if you have like any commitment to move forward in all this stuff this year, like to spend a few moments before Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, you have, you have Jesus exposed in the Eucharist all the time here at St. Charles. Like, to spend some moments letting Jesus just look at you as you share, like, the depths of your heart inside, just like, Lord, this is what I'm struggling with, and I know it's so ugly. I'm not going to filter it. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to Photoshop it. I'm just going to share with you all the crap that's in there. If you committed to that, it would change everything because it's, it's going to change the way you love your spouse. It's going to change how you respond and love, to your, love your kids, how you head into Monday, how you, like, cope with the frustrating things at work. It's going to change all of that how you process awful news, how you deal with cancer diagnosis, how you'll deal with like a job loss, all of that stuff. Guys, like the church has existed for 2,000 years not because of amazing preaching, not because of brilliant administrators. It hasn't existed because of like good strategy or that we've had enough money. 
The church has existed for 2,000 years because for 2,000 years, men and women, children, have encountered this real person, Jesus. The church has existed because for 2,000 years, people have been like willing to be honest and vulnerable before God, to get real before God. That's how, like, literally, that's it. That is it. It would have sunk years ago. The church has existed because people were willing to like actually meet the real Jesus, to be loved in such a way that it changes everything. That's why it's existed for 2,000 years. And, like, and all of this is available to you at Mass and confession, all of this. Like this love, that, like this, this love that I'm just like, like, do you want it? Because it's available to you. It's available at every single Mass, every single confessional. Like Mass is about allowing God, who loves me so much, to draw near to me. Like when your kids ask you, like, why do we ought to go to Mass? This is what you say to them. Because that's where we are loved the most. That's where we're loved the most. That's why we go. Because that's where we are loved the most. Love changes everything. Opening up that stuff in your heart to the Lord changes everything. He's waiting for you. Like I met a person when I was 15 years old. And it wasn't Kristen. <laughs> it was Jesus. Like, G, like, all the, like, the only way I know how to make sense of my life is that I met a person that night and it's changed everything. And unless and until we have this like, experience of being vulnerable before the Lord, actually like getting real about our hearts, it's never going to change anything. You'll go through the motions week after week, year after year, one thing after the next. And you'll look at all sorts of other things around you to try and fill that void to cope and get through life. It'll be one thing after another, then eventually one damn thing after another. And you're going to be like 60, 70, 80 years old wondering like, what did I like, do with this life? There's not a person who's been on their deathbed who's ever regretted being vulnerable before God. I can guarantee you that. I want to close tonight with a story that um, it's really means a lot to me. It's the story of a guy named Derek Redmond. Derek was a, uh, he was an Olympic sprinter, ran the 400 meter dash. It was during the 1992 Olympic Games at Barcelona. Um, something terrible happened to Derek, but when he was lining up for the starting gate, I'm sure Derek was thinking of that moment uh, of the journey he had just been on four years, for the past four years, because at the 88 Games, Derek had to withdraw. 90 seconds before the, the race started, he tore his Achilles tendon. Fluke, freak accident. I mean, imagine the years of training that had like gone into that moment and then just 90 seconds short of it tore his Achilles. He had five surgeries. He had thousands of hours of uh, physical therapy after that. And doctors were like, Derek, you're, you'll be lucky to walk again. You're like, your career is over. But he like completely blew away their expectations. It was back at the 92 games in Barcelona. He was lined up at the starting gate. Gun goes off about 100 meters into the race. Derek's hamstring tears, and he crumples to the ground. And paramedics are coming up to him, and he's kind of hobbling, hobbling along, and he waves them off. And all of a sudden, you see this man come running onto the track. He kind of runs past the guards. He's wearing this Nike hat, some super short, early 90s shorts, 
He runs up to Derek, and it's Derek's dad. Maybe you've felt like throughout your life that God is the one who's just been yelling at you from the stands. Maybe you've had that voice that God's just yelling at you from the stands or this thought that God is at the finish line yelling at you, get up, move faster, you like just brush it off. That's not his voice. That's not our father. That's not who God is. No one knows who got first, second, or third place in that race. Everyone remembers that moment. Like that is who our God is. Like that's his his response to your struggle. That's his response to your crap. Like we all know the story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus tells about this man who finds a man in the ditch on the side of the road, half, left half dead by robbers. And he approaches him, the Good Samaritan, and he pours oil and wine into his wounds, bandages him, puts him up on his animal, takes him to an inn. We all think that that story is about what we're called to do, and sure, that's part of it. That's what Jesus does to us. Like, at every single Mass, every single Mass, like that is what Jesus is doing to your heart. That's what he wants to do. That's what he wants to do. 
He wants to approach your heart. He wants to run to your heart. He's like, I know, I know, I know what you've been through. I know what you're carrying. I know the hurts. I know the betrayal. I know the lies. I know the stuff with your mom. I know the stuff with your dad. I know the stuff that you're dealing with and looking at online. I know the way that you drink. I know the way that you get in fights. I know the, like, the things that you say to your kids. I know it. He says, I know it. I know your heart. And he's running to you, though. He's running to you, and he's saying, let me carry you. Like, he wants to love you at that place. He wants to love you there. That's who our God is. And look, look, when you experience that, when you let, when you let yourself experience that, like, it'll, that's what changes everything. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord Jesus, you are the living mercy, and you run to us. When we fall, you run to us in our wounds, you run to us in our hurts, you run to our hearts. That you don't delay, that you are attentive to our pain, and all you're interested in is bringing life and healing and tenderness and mercy to those places where we feel so unworthy of love, where we feel so little, so weak. Jesus, I pray for these parents that whatever they receive tonight, Lord, whatever seeds you planted in their hearts, that by the grace and intercession of Mary, that those seeds would be watered, that those seeds would be protected. And that whatever was not of you, Lord, let it be cast out in your name. Jesus, may this be the beginning of something new for these families as their kids prepare to receive an immense gift in the sacraments that this would not be just another year, that this would not just be checking boxes, but this would be an opportunity to receive and experience your love, which changes everything. And we give all glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and never shall be, world without end. Amen. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for your attention, everybody. Thanks, Father Pat. Yeah.